So who can tell me the first word that Jesus preached? You should know this if you go to this church because I've said it many times. The first word Jesus preached, it was the first word that came out of his mouth, recorded word in the book of Matthew. Repent. Repent. Well done, Greg. Repent. <laughs> well done, Julie. <laughs> Wasn't that nice? Greg, say repent. That was so nice. <laughs> yeah, repent. And the word repent literally means to change, to change your mind. It has in the word this idea of changing your mind to the point that it changes your behavior, but that's the idea, is to change the way you think, change your perspective on how you're living and on what's around you. And what we're going to see today is in, in Ephesians 4, in this section, remember Paul is writing about how we can respond to this great gospel, this great truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. He spent the first three chapters of Ephesians laying down that groundwork that, that God has chosen us even before we were alive in Christ, and that God has sent Christ to, to pay us uh, the price for our sins that we could be made alive in Him, we could have life with Him forever. And he spent three, basically three chapters talking about all these blessings that we have, all this great stuff that is ours because of what Jesus has done for us. And then in chapter 4, remember, he begins to say, here's how we respond. And he says these words, he says, I declare therefore, because of all I wrote in these first three chapters, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul calls himself, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, the calling to follow Jesus. That Paul says, I'm calling you to walk worthy, that your, your walk is not just one foot in front of the other, but your whole lifestyle, your whole manner of life would be worthy of a, fo- of a person who follows Jesus. And so really, the, the next several chapters are just really Paul unpacking this, unpacking what it looks like to walk with Jesus. And so what we're seeing today is part of that is that God wants to teach us and give us a new way to think. To follow Jesus means all of our perspectives need to be changed. The way we view things has to be completely changed. And that's what he's talking about here. Now, the first thing he kind of brings up is, he says really clearly in verse 17, he says, uh, says, "I, I say therefore and testify in the Lord. This is Paul's way of saying, listen, I have something to say that is from the authority of Christ himself. Paul saying, I'm testifying of what Jesus wants you to know. It's a way to underscore the importance of what he's going to say. So Paul's not giving his uh, uh, opinion, even, even as an apostle, even as a sent one of Jesus. He's not just giving his opinion. He's saying, this is the will of Jesus. This is what he wants to accomplish. He says, listen, I testify of the Lord, he says, in the Lord, he says, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In other words, he's saying there needs to be a difference between how you are now in in Christ and what you were without Christ. Now, Gentile, as you know, means non-Jew, but in this case, it means somebody who hasn't been converted yet. It means somebody who's not a believer. And so he's saying, listen, he's talking about really humanity in general, in this context. He's saying, I don't want you to walk like everybody else. Your life should be different like, than everyone else's. And he brings in initially this idea about the fact that their lives are wrong, those who don't believe their lives are wrong, because listen, their thinking is wrong. 
or what we're trying to say today is that human intelligence is broken. Look what he says in verse 17 in the first part of verse 18. He says that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Here's how they walk. In the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened. The word for mind, the word for understanding, those are both words that refer to human intelligence. He's saying there's something about our human thinking that is darkened, that is futile or ultimately useless. Now, Paul's not saying that people can't think good things. The Bible doesn't teach that humanity, uh, every thought that they have is wrong necessarily. He's saying every thought that they have basically is tainted, and so that they end up being morally confused. This is why the psalmist says, says this in Psalm 94, uh, verse 11, it says, the Lord knows all human plans, and He knows that they're futile. In other words, we might have plans to try to do good, and we're going to fix whatever seems to be wrong with humanity, but we never just can seem to get it right. And He tells us why in verse 18. This is why we're morally confused, our thinking is morally confused. He says in verse 18, that they are being alienated, they are alienated from the life of of God, and this is why they are, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. Now, to be alienated, it kind of means that you are separated from the life that God gives us through Christ. That's our natural state before we become Christians. So, that's the natural state of humanity, is to be alienated from the life of God. And Paul says this is why. This is why humanity is alienated or or away from this life that God offers in Christ. Why? He says, because of their ignorance. I don't think this means that they're stupid. It means that they are willfully ignoring how God's revealed Himself in creation to our conscience and even through the gospel. In fact, that's why he says it's the blindness of their hearts. In other words, human thinking is morally confused because humanity is willfully ignorant of God. This is what Paul's saying. Listen to this. Romans chapter 1, Paul makes a similar argument in Romans chapter 1. He says, yes, humanity knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks as they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As, as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that they should never have done. In other words, what, what Paul, the, 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 the argument that Paul makes in Romans chapter 1 is, when it comes to humanity, they kept wanting to just refuse to think about who God's revealed Himself to be, and instead they want to do what they want to do. Isn't that what we're like? When we're honest, isn't that what we're like? We want to do what we want to do. We want to believe what we want to believe. We want to come up with our own ideas about God, a God that usually we can try to control. Paul says this is the problem. This is why our human intelligence is broken. Because we're willfully ignorant of God. But then in verse 19, Paul kind of gives us this he, he uses terms that are, are, are very pointed, and, and they seem quite harsh, to be honest. They seem pretty, a pretty heavy judgment, but they're also showing uh, a progression of what happens because human thought or human intelligence is broken. In verse 19, Paul says, who being past feeling, now being past feeling, it's one word in the Greek language, 
The New Testament was written in Greek. And that word is where we get the English word apathy or apathetic. Do you guys know what it means to be apathetic? Do you care? Not really. Well, that's apathetic. That's apathy, okay? It means to say, whatever, I'm not bothered, I don't care. That's apathy, right? So Paul's saying, here's what happens with the human race. There's apathy, he says, in verse 19. He says they're past feeling, and they have given themselves over to lewdness. Now, this idea that they're surrendered to lewdness. What's lewdness? You might have an idea. You might kind of heard of someone having lewd behavior, and we think of someone who's sexually perverse or or, you know, maybe talks dirty to somebody else. And that's definitely included in this word lewdness. But the word actually just means absence of restraint, that you're not holding back at all. So he says, here's, here's how human thinking is broken, and here's how it gets progressively worse. You get apathetic. You just don't care about what's right or wrong anymore. And then you stop restraining yourself. There's an absence of restraint. And then he says, listen, verse 19, he says, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, it's interesting because this, this idea is there's, they're occupied with uncleanness, and this is a word for uncleanness that can often mean ceremonial or moral uncleanness. It's often used in reference to temple prostitutes with greediness. Now, in a sense, a lot of Bible scholars say it seems like Paul's talking about prostitution, really. He's talking about this idea that people are, are, are trading in slavery and sex slavery and using sex slaves as temple prostitutes, that this is kind of where it ends up. In other words, listen, the human race, because we're broken, because our, our intelligence is broken, we get morally confused because we want to push away who God is and who God's revealed Himself to be. So we end up surrendering to this moral corruption, and it is a, is a process. We get apathetic. I don't really care what's right and wrong. We stop restraining ourselves. We get involved in things we shouldn't do. And it turns into this really almost like this pandemic injustice where we do things like get involved with prostitution. You know, prostitution is called the world's oldest uh, occupation, isn't it? Because why? Because human nature, we've always been this way. Isn't it interesting? In, In a day and age when we have more information available to us, when we would as a culture say, it's wrong. Sexual exploitation is wrong. We have this new movement, this mo- Me Too movement that's saying we shouldn't exploit women. It's wrong. It's bad. And there's so much emphasis that way, and yet the sex trade has never been more profitable. We've never been more committed to this. And it's interesting because it says something about our culture, and before you're tempted to go, yes, they are bad. No, we are part of this. Because how is it that we can, as hu- human beings, see something so wicked and kind of go, oh, well, nothing I can do about it? Apathy. And our apathy leads to what? An absence of restraint. Let's think about this. There's behaviors that we would never even dream of being involved in, but we'll pay eight pounds to go watch them on the movie screen. I- I- I'm just as guilty. And this feeds into, do you know it's really documented that? Porn usage feeds the, the, the slave trade. And do you know what gets us used to or, or makes us kind of be dull in our consciousness towards porn use? A lot of the junk movies that we watch. Seriously. This, this thing's all connected. I'm not being legalistic, guys. I'm not saying never watch TV or movies again. But I am saying we should not be like the rest of humanity where we don't think about these things. We are, should not be those who are morally confused. 
We should be those who are being morally changed. Our thinking is being changed. Now, now, just to make sure I'm being clear about this as well, I am not saying that, listen, if we would just stop being a bit confused, then we would break the pattern and we would change all humanity. Humanity would change if they could just know this stuff. No, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, He says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Jesus says, all these things come from within and defile a man. See, it's not like that we are morally kind of pure, even morally neutral, and then we get apathetic, and then we have an absence of restraint, and then we have you know, get into, we allow this pandemic injustice, and then it kind of turns to more apathy. That's not how it starts. It starts because we are broken. Our human intelligence is broken. This is why we have enough knowledge today to know how to mass produce food to feed every human being a hundred times over, and people still starve to death in our world. How does that happen? It happens because we are still evil. We don't lack knowledge. We don't lack intelligence. It's that our intelligence is broken. Our thinking is broken. Are you following me? And so what Paul is saying to the believers in Ephesus, what the Spirit of God wants to say to us, is that we need to recognize this. The, the first way we need to change our perspective is just to acknowledge the fact we're broken. Yeah, we're broken. Now, I I challenge you guys to think. We talked about earlier in the book of Ephesians how Paul prays that the Ephesians would be filled with the spirit of knowledge and wisdom according to the knowledge of God. Do you remember that? And we talked about that's Paul praying that the Holy Spirit would be engaging our intellect so that we would know who God is as we walk with Him. Right? So I'm not talking about, oh, your intelligence is broken, so don't, don't think anymore. Don't reason. No, I'm saying reason, just don't trust ultimately in your reason. So do we trust in instead? Verse 20. Verse 20, Paul makes this statement, great statement. You know, this is one verse. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. We can memorize this right now. But you have not so learned Christ. Let's say this together. Ready? But you have not so learned Christ. Hide that word in your heart. Do you see what Paul's saying here? Yes, he wants our changing to be, he wants, I'm sorry, he wants our perspectives to be changed. He wants us to realize human intelligence is broken, but he also wants us to realize, realize God's word is perfect. Remember, Jesus is God's eternal word with us. Jesus is. This is what the Scripture says. Christ isn't just the one that we learn about. He's the substance and the teacher. Look at verse 21 again. You have not so learned Christ. Listen to what the Scripture says. John chapter 1. You guys, some of you guys probably have these verses memorized. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And what happened? Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When Paul says you have not so learned Christ, he's not, he's not just saying you've not had this understanding of this person, Jesus, or it's not just that you've... He's saying there, this God, this God the Word, has revealed Himself to you. He makes it clear in verse 21, doesn't he? He says, indeed, if indeed, you heard Him. Not it, Him. And have been taught by Him. Interesting. As far as we know, those in Ephesus who received the, 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 the gospel through Paul's initial preaching, and now years later Paul's writing to not just the group that he preached to, but other churches that were planted out of that, churches, out of that church, so that he's writing to people who he's never met. But these people had never met Jesus in the sense of saw Jesus on his earthly ministry. Yet Paul is treating them as if they've met Jesus face to face. Because he believes if they've heard the gospel, believed the gospel, responded to the gospel, they're not responding to information, but a person. This is what we need to understand. The thing that I tend to look for with sort of new believers as they grow, I, I, I look for this transition that they come from, from saying, starting, stopping to, to communicate about Christianity as an it and start to t- communicate about Christianity as a him. Not H-Y-M-N, H-I-M, him. In other words, Jesus is not an idea. He's a person that we relate to, the person of God who's come to this earth and shown us what God is like, the person who teaches us. Now, it's important to recognize that, that Jesus is God's eternal word, but also that Jesus communicates God's word to us. The author of Hebrews makes this really clear to us. He writes, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days, notice the finality of that, this is God's final word to us, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. This is one of the reasons why we reject Islam. You have some Muslim friends, they're lovely people, just really great people. But we reject Islam because Islam says, oh, there's more to know. There's another prophet. God wants to say something else besides what he said through Jesus. But according to Hebrews, God's done saying, this is what I'm like. There's no more prophets in that sense. No, we learn through Jesus. We go back to his word as the standard for faith and practice. But also, as he say, that last little phrase, great little phrase in verse 21, as the truth is in Jesus. In other words, Jesus defines God's truth for us. I should have, I should have put it up again. I, I didn't do it, sorry. I, remember, I, I did it when we did Colossians. You guys remember that little chart I did? It was like Jesus and there was an arrow upwards and sideways and... You know, we talked about what it means to be Jesus-centered. And what it means is, our ideas about God, our ideas about the past, our ideas about the future, our ideas about humanity, they're all centered on Jesus. So we want to know what God's like? 
We start with Jesus and, and we, we go upwards. All right, Jesus, what did you say about the Father? What did you say about the Spirit? What did you tell us about the Godhead? We want to know what humanity is like. We say, okay, Jesus, what did you say about mankind? What did you say about what he's like, about why, how you value him? We want to know the past. Jesus, what, how did you look at the past? How did you look at the scriptures that had been written before you? What about the future? Jesus, what do you say about the future? One of the things that Jesus says about the future is he's in control of it. Amen? That's what it means to be Jesus-centered. The truth is in Jesus. We start with him. We move upward, downward, forward, backward. Everything is with him. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The truth is in Jesus. So what Paul's saying is, he's saying, listen, this new way to think, it begins with us recognizing our human intelligence is broken, but then it also recognizes the good news is God has spoken and God's word is perfect. Because God hasn't just said, here's some ideas. God himself clothed himself in human flesh and walked this earth and said, this is who I am, what I'm like, what I'm doing. No guesswork. God's word is perfect. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. See, when Paul makes a statement in verse 21 that the truth is in Jesus, it's a very exclusive statement. But it's no more exclusive than what Jesus said about himself. Isn't this great too? Isn't it great to know that the truth is not just some sort of idea that we got to somehow get our head around, but the truth is a person that we can relate to and walk with? Isn't that great? Jesus says, I am the truth. This is a new way to think. Uh, where, Where are you right now? Are you in a place where Christianity to you is still just an it? An idea, a concept, something that brings you comfort, Or is Christianity about Christ? Do you know Jesus? Do you want to walk with Jesus? You say, well, how can I walk with him? He lived 2,000 years ago, but then what happened? (laughs) He died. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven with, with a promise, what? He would send his Holy Spirit who dwells in us. We can relate to Jesus now. We can walk with Jesus now. He dwells in us who believe by His Holy Spirit now. The truth is in Jesus. There's something else, though. When it comes to this new way to think, it's not just understanding that our human intelligence is broken and and just that God's Word is perfect. We can trust Jesus, we can walk with Jesus, we can know Jesus, but also listen to this hopeful thing that He gives. Paul gives these commands in verse 22 to 24. He is commanding His readers to do something. He's calling them to action. Look what he says, verse 22. He says, that you, here's the truth that's in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Now, you might be reading the, the notes that we give you on the little A5 and saying, the, the, as the old man is crucified, not just avoided. You might be asking yourself, who's this poor old person that's going to be killed? You know, you are. <laughs> the old man is just a way that Paul describes us before we're Christians, okay? He doesn't mean like, I'm the old man, who's going who's to kill me? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about us. 
In fact, again, Paul unpacks this idea more so in the book of Romans chapter 6. Listen to this. Paul writes in Romans 6, he says that we know that our old sinful selves, that's the old man, our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin, and since we died with Christ, we know that we also live with Him, and we are sure of this because Christ has raised from the dead. He goes on, and He will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. To you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do you understand what Paul's saying? Paul's saying in this way that's amazing to think about, that is, hard for us to get our head around, that when Jesus died, we died with Him. See, here's the thing. It's not that hard for us to get our head around. Okay, Jesus died. He was punished for our sins. He paid the price. Okay, I can get the metaphor of sort of the judge who should judge us, but He came down off His, his judgment seat. Instead, He died on the cross. Okay, I think I get that. Jesus died for my sins so that I sins are forgiven. But the idea that we've died with Him, how does that work? This is a really important thing. This is why, listen, follow me, this is why baptism is so significant. Because baptism is a recognition that you are one with Christ. You've died with Him. That's why you go under the water. You've been resurrected with Him and you have new life with Him. That's why baptism is so significant. That's why we encourage you, if you believe, you should be baptized. Have obedience to Jesus and also have to add a celebration that you're one with Him. You see, I don't understand how that works, but do you believe that it's true? If you believe Christ died to pay the penalty of your sin, can you also believe, according to God's Word, that you died with Christ to break the power of sin? Can you believe that? Because that's the clear testimony that we're reading right now. So so when Paul says, going back to Ephesians 4, when Paul says, put off your former conduct, he's not saying, Okay, re-crucify your old man. He's saying, consider that your old man's been crucified. See, this, this idea that this, we have this old sinful human nature that we need to deal with, what we tend to do as Christians, I'm talking to you guys that are already Christians now, what we tend to do is, okay, let's avoid that. We'll avoid this bad behavior, we'll pursue this good behavior, and we look at this idea of just self-improvement, don't we? You know what Jesus says needs to happen? You know what Paul says needs to happen? You know what the Scripture says needs to happen? Death and resurrection. Way bigger than self-improvement. You need to be crucified. doesn't mean you crucify yourself. Uh, I'm crucifying myself. It means you recognize that you were crucified with, cross, with, with Christ. His death provides your death. You know what that means? His life provides your life. You don't have to be a slave to sin. We're not talking about perfection, but we are talking about progress that can only come as you believe that you've been crucified with Christ. Do you see what this new way to think is that Paul's saying? He's saying, listen, he's, when he says to them, do this, he is 
saying, you need to think this way, you can change. You can change. We can change. You don't have to be a slave to sin. You can stop treating your, your, your family members badly. You can stop looking at pornography. You can stop being a drunkard. You can stop lying to make yourself look good. You can stop being so self-consumed all the time. You can change. Why? Because when Christ was crucified, you were crucified. When Christ was risen, you were risen. Amen? Isn't that good news? (laughs) Isn't that great news? So we can change as the old man is crucified, not just avoided. This is what Paul, I mean, what Jesus is, I think, getting at (coughs) in Luke chapter 9. Jesus said, then Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Take up your cross daily. Now, you might, you might say, okay, does that just mean that we need to just, you know, deny my rights? And Yes, but, you know, he says that in a different place the same way. And there's another scripture where he says, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. So taking up your cross isn't just about denying you, you, the right to, to rule your own life. That is part of it. Being a Christian means, Jesus, your Lord, I don't rule my life anymore, you rule my life. I, I trust your judgment better than mine anyway. But, but taking up your cross means considering yourself as crucified with Christ. We don't need to crucify each other, though. We can be pretty good at that. We can't crucify ourselves. You get one nail in, you can't get the other one in. But we are crucified with Christ. It's no longer us that live. It's Christ that lives in us. The life we live now, we live by faith in Him who loved us, gave Himself for us. Paul's saying, listen, it's, it's recognizing this. It's, it, Jesus is saying, listen, you gotta, you're gonna, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. You're going to have to recognize the need for the crucified life. You're going to have to recognize my provision. Interesting, when they heard this, when Jesus said this, it was before he was crucified, but they all knew what crucifixion was. And they're thinking, I have to be ashamed? I have to be made shameful in front of everybody? Well, that is part of it. People are going to think we're foolish for following Jesus. We're foolish for believing that we've been crucified with Him. People are going to think we're nuts for this. But it's more than that. It's Him saying, listen, what I do on that cross is paramount. It's the most important thing. Because I'm not just forgiving your sins. I'm providing a way for you to not be a slave to your sin anymore. So we can change as the old man is crucified, not just avoided, but also we can change as we are renewed in practice, not just position. Here's what I mean by this. In verse 23, Paul says, you know, put off the old man, but then he also says in verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, he says this in a way that seems to be a one-time thing. Be renewed. Boom, it's done. In a sense, there is a one-time thing, at least an initial thing. We, we use language uh, in this church a lot that Jesus used about being born again. You need to be born again. That, that has to happen. There needs to be a a, a regeneration or a life. Your spirit has to be given life by God. We're, we're praying that happens for you. If it hasn't happened for you yet, we're praying that Jesus does that for you. And listen, you, you have a choice in this matter in the sense that you can ask Him to do that. And by the authority of His Word, He will. 
But you need to be born again. It's not just you choosing to follow Jesus. You need Jesus to do something for you. You need to be renewed. And He puts you in a position of a renewed mind. But it's more than that. Listen. In the book of Romans, chapter 12, again, Paul unpacks this detail or this truth in more detail. Paul spends 11 chapters in Romans talking about how, great, uh, how much we need the, the gospel of Jesus and how great the gospel of Jesus is, how great the salvation we have is in Jesus. And then in the 12th chapter, he begins to say, here's how you respond. Listen to what he says. Therefore, Paul writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, it's in view of the first 11 chapters, to offer your bodies, that's not just your physical body, but your whole being, everything about you, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So what's the right worship? What declares the worthiness of God? Just us singing songs? It's not less than that, but it's much more than that. Just us listening to Bible studies? It's not less than that, but it's a lot more than that. What declares God's worthiness? Our entire lives saying, Lord, we're yours. We're yours. This is, that, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but notice, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's written in a tense that says, be being transformed. Let it keep happening. It's a process. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then, then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this is the thing. We change, listen, as our thinking is changed, as our perspectives are being transformed. We're in this process. You, you ever, ever had this experience? You know, you, you come to church, you hear preaching, and you go, yeah, I know this. I've heard this before. The question is not, have you heard it before? The question is, is it changing you? <laughs> or or, or is, is your mind being renewed? Are you being transformed inwardly? It's not enough just to get your head around an idea. It's about letting God change your thoughts, perspectives, and ideas, conforming your thoughts, perspective, and ideas to His. We can change as we're renewed in practice, not just position. Lastly, verse 24. Paul says, okay, look, you've put off the old man. Here's what you need to do now, verse 24. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you notice how he is bringing a contrast in verse 24 to, to what he wrote in verse 22? The old man grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Grows corrupt. It's the idea that the, the old man's already rotting. So, so there's some really beautiful flowers uh, uh, in front of, in, above our sink in our kitchen right now. Some lovely flowers that someone gave to Sarah. Not me. Someone else. Someone gave this to, to Sarah. And they're beautiful flowers. They're still beautiful. But we know, because they've been cut off from the source of life, they're going to be dead soon. Now, we do all little tricks. You can kind of trim them and put them in in super hot water, then put them in sugar water, and they might last a bit longer. But they are going to die. They are dying, and they're going to die. That's the idea of growing corrupt. It's the idea of they're already cut off. They're, they're in the process of rot. That's who we are naturally. That's how we are naturally. But notice he says also, according to deceitful us. You know, one of the things about our rot that shows itself, about the fact that we are growing corrupt, it shows itself, 
we keep believing lies about the things that we desire apart from God. It's amazing, the deceitfulness of sin, how sin deceives us. Oh, I know that's bad, but maybe this time it won't be so bad. Oh, I know that that brings death, but maybe this time I'll live through it. Man, this is what we do. This is who we are without Christ. Paul's saying, put that off and instead put on this new man. Now, he talked about the new man back in chapter 2, didn't he? Remember chapter 2, verse 15 of Ephesians, where he talks about, he speaks of us collectively, us as, as Jews and Gentiles in Christ, that everyone who's received Jesus as Lord and Savior, whether Jew or Gentile, that we are one new man, right? We talked a little bit about this earlier in chapter 4, that we are maturing into this one new man. Yet Paul here says, put on the new man. He's, in a sense, he's saying, look, I'm growing you collectively into something. I want you to choose to walk in that now as an individual. Now, how is that possible? It's possible because, listen, this new man comes from this idea that we are new creations, even right now. So Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, great verse, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We can change. But we change not just having a fresh start. Okay, start again. We do have a fresh start, but it's more than that. In Christ, we don't just have a fresh start. In Christ, we're new creations. We've been recreated. We're part of the new creation that God's going to bring to pass when Jesus comes back to this entire created order. Right now, we are already new creations in process till the day when we're completed and we see Him face to face. We have to believe this. We have to have this perspective if we're going to change. I wonder if any of you here know that you're not a new creation. I wonder if there's anyone here today that is thinking to themselves, that's not me. I, I kind of understand this Christianity stuff, but I'm not a new creation. I'm still me. And maybe the, the thing is, you're here today because Jesus is saying, today's the day. <laughs> today's the day, not just to be a religious person, not just to be somebody who nods your head in agreement, not just to be somebody who thinks this is some nice ideas to live your life by, but someone who knows, I need death and resurrection. I, I need new life, not just a fresh start. I need a complete do-over. If you're here today and that's where you're at, man, cry out to God. You know, Jesus talked about two men who stood before God. One stood before God with his eyes lifted to heaven and said, God, I thank you. I'm not like the rest of these sinners around me. And the other fell on his face before God. Wouldn't even look up his eyes and said, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, it's the second guy that went home justified. So you might be hearing me today and you might be thinking to yourself, well, you know, the whole cycle of apathy and absence of restraint and pandemic injustice, I can see how that is 
in a general sense, but me, come on, I'm not apathetic. I'm committed to stuff. I'm doing the right thing. I'm a moral person. I try hard to do things well. But are you a new creation? Because if you're not a new creation, you're going to remain morally confused and broken in your intellect, and you're going to miss this perfect Word of God who you can have a relationship with. God wants a relationship with you. I'm going to ask the music team to come back up. And we're going to sing a song. I think we're going to do 10,000 Reasons. Yeah, Sammy? And we're going to sing a song that for those of us who are new creations, we should celebrate, sing the song in celebration. We're going to stand and sing the song in celebration. We have 10,000 reasons for our hearts to declare His praise. But I want to ask you to think about something. Because if you're not a Christian, you need to do business with God today. And I want you to think about this. Listen. If you can't find a reason in your heart to sing praises to your Creator God, maybe that's an indication that you're not yet a new creation. And you need to ask God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. So let's think about this. I'll come back and, and wrap this up after we sing this song. Let's stand and sing this song together.